Seltzer Kings podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. No, no, Gavin, I don't see how the movie could be construed as a metaphor about the life of a British podcast producer in the United States. Yes. The following podcast contains... Your use of language has altered since our arrival. It is currently laced with, shall I say, more colorful metaphors. Double dumbass on you and so forth. You mean the profanity? Yes. That's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. You're the hottest movie producer in the world and you decide your next movie is going to be about an alien duck. What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is episode number 391. Did she, did she fuck that duck? Edition of the show where we talk about the second worst movie George Lucas ever made right after Phantom Menace, Howard the Duck. Stay tuned. What the hell were you thinking? Podcast is brought to you by the Anthropomorphic Waterfowl Association of America, who wants you to know ducks are people too. For 40 years, the AWAA has stood up for the rights of humanoid avians in the aquatic variety, working to ensure that they're respected for their valuable place in American culture, from Donald to Daffy, from Plucky to Eric Duckman. The AWAA remain relentless in our quest to see all humanoid ducks and other waterfowl are respected and valued for their place in society. If you would like to donate to the AWAA, text QUACK, Q-U-A-C-K, to 5557 to make your tax-deductible contribution. The Anthropomorphic Waterfowl Association of America, because ducks who look like people are people too. Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me. Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. <coughs> to redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. Oh, I pull it out! Until he discovers just who he really is. Oh, no. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. I've talked a time or two before about my relationship with comic books as a kid. Even by the standards of a fat D&D playing Star Trek fan, they were mostly for a bunch of goddamn nerds. Because for me, comic books were something you bought at a Stuckies during your road trips with your parents. Stuckies. He likes to stop at uh, Stuckies. 
Once you read them, you threw them away because why the hell would you need to keep Archie number 392? You know, edition 392, and you know what's the one where Mr. Lodge thinks he can avoid his usual bad luck if he gets Archie to caddy for his opponent instead of for him. And Archie, well, he needs to submit some shots of pretty girls for a photography portfolio, but there are no girls available. Not to mention how this is the one where Veronica gets jealous that Betty likes Archie's baking skills, so she gets Dilton to help her bake a cake. And then they, they have sex all over the library. Oh, most definitely. You know there was some nasty shit going on behind the scenes in Riverdale. As an adult, I have a different relationship with the medium. I've come to respect comics for the art form and appreciate their impact on pop culture. Sequel after sequel. I'm quite fond of some of the darker titles like Preacher or the more ribald ones like Deadpool. I can go all day, Dopinder. The point is it's bad. And while I'm not entirely sure that 8,000 comic book movies a year is, strictly speaking, necessary, I can appreciate how comics have come to influence our society in a way that I just couldn't have imagined when I was leafing through Archie in the backseat of the family Buick somewhere outside of Flagstaff. All of that being true, I have to point out that some of the comics were just, you know... Yeah, it's fucking crazy. It's fucking crazy. Take the example of uh, DC's Doom Patrol which had a character that in it that was literally a, a, a sentient street. You, uh, you want to run that by me again? Danny. Danny the street was, is, I guess, a living and sentient piece of urban geography who can magically and seamlessly place himself in any urban landscape at will without any disruption of surroundings. He can freely interact with any other sapient being through various forms of visual printing within his proximity. But all of that being said, he's definitely a road. Or like a road with like deep potholes. Yeah, a road. Danny the street is also non-binary or genderqueer using they, them pronouns, which is fucking great. I support any being, regardless of whether or not their geography or not, being the best person that they want to be. But I also have to point out that being a slab of asphalt... Technically, it has no gender in the first place. It's a street. And this is just very odd example. It is but one that I could have picked out from a very long list of some extremely bizarre comic book characters. Even a sentient road is, however, not the strangest comic book character to ever appear on film. I mean, Danny did appear on a TV show once, but he wasn't the subject of a major motion picture. That dubious distinction, being the strangest comic book character ever in a major motion picture, belongs to one and only Howard the Duck. The thumbnail plot of, the, of Howard the Duck is Howard's just a normal duck dude living his normal duck dude life on his normal duck planet when with no preamble whatsoever, Howard is sucked through something winds up on Earth in the only city where a humanoid alien duck appearing kind of makes sense, Cleveland, Ohio. And that's when things got a little weird. Turns out Howard was transported to Earth by a science experiment gone wrong. While trying to figure out how to get Howard home, the scientist gets possessed by space demons. Did you say? Space demons. Yeah. Eventually, to save the Earth from being attacked by even more space demons, Howard must destroy the device that brought him to here, then he must remain on Earth. Oh, and also, maybe Howard fucks Leah Thompson? Beg pardon? 
Yeah, there's a semi-sex scene between a three-foot-tall duck creature and a smoking hot Leah Thompson. I mean, you don't see corkscrew anything, but it is strongly implied that uh, they did it. Who the thought this was a good idea? Yeah, that's the story I'm about to tell you. In 1973, Marvel Comics writer Steve Gerber and artist Val Mayerick were working on a series called Adventures in Fear. And in number 19, they created the Man-Thing portion of the comic and conceived of an anthropomorphic duck trapped in a human world and gave him the name Howard. In the comics, Howard was a cigar-chomping misanthrope who could be described as something of a... Because he's kind of a dick, right? Right. The original art had Howard as a fedora-sporting, suit-jacking-wearing, pantsless waterfowl in the standard cartoon duck style, a very thinly-veiled Donald the Duck. He possessed no special powers. He could not even fly. Being a duck, you could see, maybe... Still, Howard was popular enough to be spun off into his own comic series in 1976. As part of the Marvel theme in 1976, riffing on the 1976 election, Howard ran for president of the United States. But wouldn't that violate the Constitution? I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, Obama caught shit for being from Hawaii and had to give up his birth certificate. But I guess in the 1970s, a fucking duck could just run for president. Howard's political party, the Up All Night Party, ran under the slogan, Get Down America. It was, it was the disco time. He didn't poll well, but according to Marvel's Stan Lee, Howard received several thousand write-in votes. There's no actual evidence of this, but given the choice of Ford or Carter in that election, it is not outside the realm of possibility. There was a short-lived Howard the Duck newspaper comic, which brought Howard to the attention of, you guessed it, Disney... Couldn't help but notice that Howard, a pantsless duck, looked more than a little like their pantsless duck, and so it was that Howard finally put on a pair of fucking pants. The strip and the color comic both ended in 1978, but Howard, Howard would continue. Because you see, Marvel began shopping the rights to its various comic titles in search of new revenue, and many of the places they shopped them to were film and TV. And when Steve Gerber heard about this he filed a lawsuit to, against Marvel to get back control of the copyright to the character Howard the Duck. His lawsuit was one of the earliest and most notorious battles by comic creators against the comic book companies for control over the things that they actually created and to get a piece of the monetary pie when it came to film and TV rights. Now, Gerber had lost control of Howard the Duck by being fired for various reasons, not the least of which was all the blown deadlines that he consistently missed while he was creating the property. But um, he really lost control of the copyright because he, like so many other Marvel freelancers, had kind of not paid attention to a pretty obvious statement every time they cast a fucking freelance check from Marvel Comics because it was quote, because it's stamped on the back of every single one of them were the following words. Quote, by endorsement of this check, I, the payee, acknowledge full payment for my employment by a magazine management company incorporated, the parent company of Marvel Comics, and for my assignment to it of any copyright, trademark, and any other rights in or related to the material, and including my assignment of any rights to renewal of said copyright, unquote. Meaning, the very act of cashing their paycheck sold their property irrevocably to the man. That's all I have to say about that. As a comic book, Howard the Duck was at best a cult classic. 
It was popular among comic book aficionados, but never had the mass market appeal of Marvel's bigger mythos, say the Avengers or the X-Men. But uh, it did well in its day. From an archived copy of HoodedUtilitarian.com, quote, Sales appear to have been healthy. Ed Shulkin told The New Yorker in the print run on a new issue in 1977 was 400,000 copies, a 45% increase over the pressing of Howard No. 1. Newsstand print orders generally reflect an unexpected self-growth of 50%, so Howard's paid circulation was probably about 200,000 copies per issue. Marvel's confidence in the series' sales was also reflected by the decision to bump it from a bi-monthly to monthly status with its seventh issue. The feature had strong cult appeal. The character's alien perspective, combined with the strip setting in Marvel Comics' superficially quotidian fantasy world, provided Gerber with an effective vehicle for satirical social commentary. The setting allowed him to parody comics and other pop culture material with abandon. The satirical tropes were often clever and, and layered. Gerber also managed to imbue the character with a forlorn air of existential absurdity. He occasionally hit notes that, for all the series' ju juvenile goofiness and adventure fantasy trappings, were far more characteristic of literary fiction than anything seen up to that point in American comic books. Steve Gerber is widely considered the most accomplished writer of 1970s English-language adventure comics, and Howard the Duck's better moments are, as much, um, are much of the reason why." Unquote. And it was this reputation for being an offbeat, countercultural anti-hero that brought Howard to the attention of an up-and-coming Hollywood director who pondered doing a movie about Howard in 1974, but then he decided to work on just other little projects that, that was going to take him down somewhat of a different path. A few years later and many more blockbuster movies, Lucas was now a producer of some renown, and he came back to the idea of doing a movie about Howard the Duck. What followed was one of the most bizarre Hollywood stories that has occurred at least within my lifetime and became what was one of the literal worst movies ever made, at least during my lifetime. All because George Lucas thought Howard the Duck was very funny and had some elements of film noir and absurdism. And so it was, in 1985, the movie began production. What makes the story of the movie so bizarre is how many might-have-beens that run through the entire thing, beginning with George Lucas's choice for the director of the film. Get me Steven Spielberg. Not exactly, but close. Quoting now from Interfloss, quote, Originally, Lucas wanted his friend John Landis in the director's chair. A great comedic filmmaker, Landis had helmed Animal House, The Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, and Trading Places. But Landis turned down this particular project. My greatest regret in my career is that John Landis was unable to direct Howard the Duck, Lucas later said. I feel the movie would have been more successful and saved me from years of hardship following its release. He's not wrong. When Landis was unavailable, Lucas pivoted to two people with whom he'd attended film school and had co-written his breakout movie, American Graffiti, William Huyck and Gloria Katz, with Huyuk directing and Katz producing. The husband and wife team have credits on many Hollywood blockbusters, including writing for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, which set them up financially for life, but their directorial choices on Howard the Duck more or less ended their Hollywood careers. And the biggest choice that the two made was to essentially strip the character traits they made Howard the Duck in the comics interesting 
in order to make him likable. Which, as you know, is the kiss of death for any edgy character in the Hollywood movies of the times. The next choice wasn't exactly the fault of Hugh and Katz, but uh, how they dealt with it certainly was. They very much thought that the movie should be fully animated. It was, after all, a movie about a three-foot-tall duck man that came from a comic book. Universal Studios, who had optioned the film, however, very much wanted a summer blockbuster for 1986, and they wanted that summer blockbuster to be a special effects movie. And so when Universal Studios came back saying that it should be live action, George Lucas said, quote, well, we can build a duck. We can do it with the technology that we have, unquote. The idea that came out of Lucas's industrial light and magic was that Howard would be fully computer generated. There happens to be a very good example of what CGI looked like in 1985 that you are probably familiar with, the video to this song. The two dudes in the Dire Straits video for Money for Nothing were basically cutting-edge CGI at the time. ILM probably could have improved on that a little bit, but to do so would cost roughly the defense budget of a smallish European nation. So ILM created the Howard suit. Ed Gale, a little person, and Jordan Prentice, a 12-year-old boy, were cast to fill the Howard suit, and a team of animatronic specialists and puppeteers created an incredibly complex puppet that was supposed to render Howard in lifelike detail. After all, ILM had just come off Yoda, one of the most lifelike puppet creations ever done. How hard could it be to make a duck? Also, in another strange aside that's tied directly to this movie, ILM, the early work they did trying to do CGI graphics for Howard the Duck, was the genesis of what would go on to become Pixar. Meaning that beloved childhood movie Toy Story has Howard the Duck's DNA all over it. Ew. What came out of the ILM's workshops was a Duckman suit that looked almost entirely unlike, but not quite, a duck or a man. It was very, very deep in the, uh... The uncanny valley. The what? The eyes on Howard's face were human-ish. They looked very much as though someone had plucked the living eyes from a human being in some freakish operation and implanted them in the skull of a duck. When you look in those eyes, you can almost hear the hellish screams of the poor creatures involved in this crime against nature. All the while, the rest of Howard's face, his bill in particular, were obviously and contagiously puppet-like. When Howard walked or ran, it was so obviously a small human being inside of a duck soup, it instantly broke whatever tiny suspension of disbelief you might have accidentally been able to gin up going into the scene. And every time Howard used quack foo, which was his special duck martial arts form, the less said about that, the better. The whole motion of Howard, let's just say it was duck-like, but not in a good way. I mean, there was a lot of waddling going on, and I don't think that was entirely what they were going for. More of the might-have-beens that might have made this movie watchable were the voice castings. Martin Short auditioned for the role. Martin Short, very good choice. Solid choice. John Cusack audition. Not sure how John Cusack would have made it better, but still better than what we had. Jay Leno, Chevy Chase. Those were some of the people that were considered. But the one man who might have saved this shit show of a film uh, that audition was Robin Williams. Because again, this is a duck man from outer space. 
You need the absurdity of Robin Williams to make that work. Instead of Robin, the producers and directors went with, with a guy named Chip Zine, who was an esteemed Broadway actor, but not exactly known for his comedic chops. And for the love interest of this film, they cast Leah Thompson as a rocker chick coming just off Back to the Future. Leah was the only saving grace in this entire turd of a movie. I mean, she actually learned to play guitar for the role and acted the hell out of every scene. Not an easy feat when she's staring into the dead eyes of a kid in a duck suit. Yeah, keep that in mind <laughs> when it comes to the uh, infamous almost a fuck scene. That was a 12-year-old boy inside that suit. Which, uh, okay, lucky boy for being there with Leah Thompson in a t-shirt and panties, but not exactly kosher. The alternates for Leah might have been Phoebe Cates from Fast Times at Richmond High, or no joke, Tori Amos. Can you imagine Howard the Duck? Fueled by the lyrics of old Tori Amos songs. Yeah, no, no, me either. After a difficult filming, Howard went into post-production where Lucas promised he could clean up all the effects. Watching the film today, it's hard to see how the same people who had done three Star Wars movies by, by this time put such crap into the effects. Even by the standards of the 80s, they were laughable. They're like a D movie spoofed on MST3K bad. The duck literally swallowed the entire FX budget and it showed. The finale scene where Howard fights off the space demons has all the excitement and intensity of a fifth-tier Saturday morning breakfast cartoon. Not a name brand, but a knockoff of a knockoff of He-Man or G.I. Joe. Not that all of the ILM work in the world could have saved the movie from the one thing that might have made it fun. You know, the uh, the script. Who wrote this? It was Hayek and Katz, and the world, what they wrote was dialogue that was written to be intentionally cheesy, but so badly written that it was actually cheesy. The endless puns fell flatter than Howard's feet. The Inside jokes were all based on duckifying contemporary pop culture that was supposed to connect the audience to the character at the time, but all they did was elicit groans from the viewer from Play Duck magazine to the quips about animal attraction during the fuck scene. All right, let's be honest about this. There was no sex scene between Leah and the duck costume. It was abundantly clear that they did not actually fuck, but the way it was filmed was that there was enough ambu ambiguity that there was an idea that maybe Leah fucked a duck, and it was foremost in everyone's mind. Leah Thompson said in an article on Decider2.com doing an oral history of Howard the Duck, quote, I had just done a love scene with my son in Back to the Future, and nobody seemed to be too upset about that. I thought it was hilarious. That's my sense of humor. My biggest regret about that scene is it's the reason my kids have never seen me sing Howard the Duck in front of the giant egg. They have to turn it off because of the love scene, unquote. The studio wanted the entire scene, scene cut. Test audiences couldn't quite believe that they'd put it in there in the first place, and the entire scene was cut from the movie in the UK. I rewatched the movie as part of my research for this show. And even all these years later, knowing that I would not see anything which can clearly confirm that the two of them ever exchanged bodily fluids the only thing that I could think of while watching this was, am I going to see a corkscrew or... Does that duck have a human dick? And I don't know which of those two options disturbed me more. Needless to say, the movie was not... Well, it was not well received by the critics. I think the kindest, the kindest comment that any reviewer out there could muster was something along the lines of... Uh, it stinks. 
Critic Nigel Andrews wrote in the Financial Times, quote, the sophisticated tone of the project is set early by its array of puns. Our hero reads Playduck magazine and has a wallet bursting with credit cards like Mallet Card and Blooming Ducks. The problem is, is that these are the funniest things in the film, unquote. Scott Kane wrote in the Atlantic Journal-Constitution, quote, Howard the Duck has everything that money could buy except fun, unquote. Kathleen Carroll wrote in the New York Daily News asking pointedly, quote, Is audience abuse a federal crime? If not, why not, unquote. And Gene Siskel wrote in the Chicago Tribune, quote, Who was this stupid film made for, unquote. And Siskel was the nice one in Siskel and Ebert. I mean, look, that movie was never going to be loved by critics. Its very origin as a comic book character made sure of that. Movie critics traditionally loathed attempts at bringing the juvenile art of comic books to the silver screen. With good reasons, the history of comic book adaptations is checkered, to say the least. The first Superman movie released in 1978 shocked critics by actually being a good movie, but that set an impossibly high bar for every other comic book movie to climb, and most of them didn't even bother to try. For every Dark Knight and Black Panther, there are a dozen shitty comic book adaptations that someone made on the cheap to keep hold of the publishing rights so they could sell them for a shitload of money later. And you might think that the critics' reviews of Howard the Ducks are just a sign of how reviewers thought of comic book movies in general, but I assure you, pod friends, the movie was as bad or worse as the movie snobs told you it was. Universal did do a full-on marketing blitz for the movie, even setting up a Howard the Duck 1-900 number. Listen, humans, call me, Howard the Duck, every day at 1-900-410-DUCK. You'll hear a different adventure from both my movie and from my experiences here on Earth. Plus, you'll also find out what makes me such a rare bird, so give me a call. And be sure to get quacking and catch the new movie from Universal Pictures, Howard the Duck. And when the movie hit the local theaters, the viewing public did not see the charm in Howard. I guess they took one look at the, uh, those eyes and took a hard pass. Wikipedia tells me, quote, quote, the film grossed $16,295,774 in the United States and $21,670,000 worldwide for a total of $37,962,774 against a $37 million budget. When the film was screened for Universal, Katz said that the studio's executives left without commenting on the film. Screenings for test audiences were met with mixed response. Rumors circulated that Universal production heads Frank Price and Sidney Scheinberg engaged in a fistfight after arguing over who was going to get the blame for greenlighting the film, though both executives denied these rumors, unquote. The movie was a massive flop. It was a full-on laughingstock. The director to this day has not watched the theatrical release and refused to review any reviews of the movie. He said in the Decider article, quote, a few years later when we made another film with George, he kept saying, you know, if they show this movie 50 years in the future and they show Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, someone asked which one was the hit, they're going to say it was Howard the Duck. And we kept saying, George, we'll be dead in 50 years. It'll be too late, unquote. It's almost 50 years later, and I'm going to here to tell you, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Howard the Duck, kind of on the same level. The film swept the 1986 Razzie Awards. So I got that going Garnering noms for Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Supporting Actor, 
for Tim Robbins, worst screenplay, worst new actors for the, quote, six guys and gals in the duck suit, unquote, worst original song, Howard the Duck by Thomas Dolby and George Clinton, worst visual effects, and a nomination for worst movie of the decade. The film would take home Razzies for worst picture, screenplay, director, new star, and effects, and it earned every single one of those accolades. Leah Thompson said of it, quote, trust me, there are a lot of bad movies being made. To be in one that has been remembered so well is kind of a feather in my cap, unquote. I am not a film guy, but I have friends who are legit film people. I have friends who have directed films. Humble brag, humble brag, humble brag. And they love bad movies. I've done podcasts about bad movies. See episode number 365, there were Dueling Dalton down at the Double Deuce, and 385, The Last Barman Poet, for examples. Yeah, I'm still pitching these things. I have watched the full uncut version of Joe Don Baker's Mitchell, not just the MST3K cut. I know from bad movies. There are bad movies that are actually good movies without meaning to be, like Tommy Wiseau's The Room, and there are bad movies that are intentionally bad movies, and so therefore are good, like Weird Al's recent biopic, which is perfect in every way, yet is very much a bad movie. So I say this with no expertise, but with some experience, that Howard the Duck is just a shitty movie. The writing is bad, the acting is bad, except for Leah Thompson. I do not say this because I have a do now, and I've always had a crush on Leah Thompson from Back to the Future to this very day, and she was the only bright spot in Howard the Duck. The effects were terrible, even by the standards of 1986, and no one, I mean no one, looked at the Howard puppet and saw anything but a horrible fucking vision of a damn soul trapped inside a feather body through the blackest of foul magics. The plot was so transparent, you could make fun noodles from the script. The editing was so scattershot that three kids with a VHS dubbing deck could have done a better job, and the soundtrack sounds like Thomas Dolby and George Clinton got so fucking high that they just decided to submit whatever the fuck they had when the weed wore off. The comic book character of Howard the Duck was interesting. He was dark, he was edgy, and he was misanthropic. If they had made Howard the Duck today, they could get away with making him true to his Marvel persona. And with the advances in CGI, they could make a credible-looking computer-generated Howard. Now, he's shown up in the backgrounds of other Marvel movies and rumors swirl around of a possible remake. But I, for one, doubt that that will ever happen because even in the world where every ninth-rate Marvel character gets at least one movie or Disney streamer, I don't see Howard coming back because the stink on Howard is just too bad. And that's maybe for one reason and one reason only. Everyone still has the mental image of the sex scene and thinks... Is Dick, when it, it's like a course group, when it gets hard, it freaking unravels. It's a crap show. And no one, no one wants to see that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is it for the show this week, and welcome to 2023. I wanted to start the new year with something light and easy to research, but like so many other stories, the more I read, the more fucked up the whole story became. I still want to see a John Landis-directed Howard Spiff star and Robert Williams and Tori Amos. 
It was a counterfactual story of this movie winning an Oscar somewhere. Speaking of things that will never happen, rate and review this show so other people can find us and we too can win major awards in some alternate timeline. Start the year off right with giving us a dollar for this dumb show at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Now, you need to do everything that Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise, he'll be forced to make Gavin wear the Howard the Duck suit again. And Jeremy, unlike me, is a decent human being and doesn't think it's fucking hilarious. And so it is for me, Dave. He's got the juice. Well, hey, look out, world. A duck is on the loose. Bledsoe, producer. Get that planet on the phone. Ain't no time to waste. Tell him he ain't coming home. He's done joining the human race. God, no. Gavin and all the fictional duckmen on the show, we want to say, no way to contain him in a second. He would love you apart. No way to explain him. The fellow with the beak has stole my heart. And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Oh, fuck a duck. Seltzer Kings Podcast.